Well, it's been a great time already tonight. Uh, just appreciate Roger sharing us so vulnerably uh, and really a great reminder of the power of remembering. Um, and, uh, you know, there's been a lot of uh, a lot of suffering in our church lately uh, with family members and losses. Uh, and let's just really continue to be there for each other and support each other. We'll be praying for each other. Great to see Paul Henry back with us today uh, here in the front row. Paul's been uh, quite sick lately. Uh, and has expressed to me in our many times together lately, I feel like we've been hanging out a lot, just his desire to get back and, and see the church. It's great to see you uh, today as well. Amen. Uh, we're going to be uh, in our Bibles here uh, in Luke, um, sorry, Luke chapter 2, uh, verses 42 to 51, where we left off last Sunday. So you can be turning there. So continue to study through the Gospel of Luke together. Let's see what we can continue to learn. Luke 2. Uh, the narrative here shifts from Jesus as a baby to Jesus as an adolescent. Luke gives us some very unique insight. Uh, some think he got inside information from Mary um, on Jesus' life. And he's the only one who gives us a snapshot of Jesus as an adolescent. Uh, Matthew's Gospel uh, gives us uh, some uh, pictures of Jesus as a baby as well in the, in the narrative account of the, of the birth. Uh, but only Luke's Gospel gives us this account of his uh, adolescence. We're going to look at that today and see what we can learn. And Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, it says, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Verse 44. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. Verse 46, after three days they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding of his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Verse 49, why were you searching for me? He asked, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Verse 51 then concludes, he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Uh, The title of tonight's sermon is Life is a Classroom. Life is a Classroom. Uh, And so Luke's uh, account here from verse uh, 40 to verse 41 jumps about 10 years. About 10 years um, uh, at least, 10 plus years into Jesus' life here uh, as a uh, almost Jewish man. A Jewish uh, boy would be considered a man at this time at the age of 13, as we talked about uh, last week. And so this is just, Jesus is a little bit shy, he's 12 years old, so he's on the precipice in that time and day of becoming a man. Uh, and Luke gives us this unique uh, insight into, into Jesus and, and, and some of the things that formed him and shaped him. Uh, to become ultimately the man, of course, that would not just be uh, a great teacher or a rabbi, but the Son of God, uh, who, of course, uh, as he starts his gospel ministry uh, that we're going to pick up here in Luke chapter 4, is going to change the world uh, forever and is still changing us uh, today. But there's a lot here we can learn um, from this time. Um, and I think it's good for us to think about you know, life, you know, life as a classroom. 
Because uh, I think it's easy over time to start shutting down our brains. It's easy over time to think we already know most of what we need to know. But there's so much to learn in life. Whether you're young or old, uh, there's so much to learn. Just in, when we open up the pages of the Bible, of course, uh, that is always true. And sometimes it's quite hard to learn things, whether we're young or old. I remember when I was about uh, late 20s, we, we, had, we had bought a home and I was trying to, to fix uh, some, some, some curtains in our bedroom. And, uh, and, and, and I always kind of struggled with the handiwork around the house sometimes because it was a simple project. You know, just hang up these curtains right here, no problem, five minutes later, should be done. But the screw's not setting properly, I'm dropping tools, you know, and I, and I was standing on our, on our, on our bed uh, to try to fix this curtain. And, you know, and it's above your head and my arms are getting, they're cramping, you know, and I'm starting to sweat and... Five minutes turns into ten minutes, ten minutes turns into twenty minutes, and I'm so frustrated and I, I start, you know, getting angry and grumbling, and Mandy was in the room and she's just laughing at me the whole time because I'm just because I'm ridiculous, you know, and I'm just getting and that's just making me more upset, you know, and uh so I remember at one point I, I dropped the tool again and I was just like, I cannot believe I can't do this and I was I was jumping up and down on the bed and next thing I heard I heard beep 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 and I and I realized I, I stepped in our cordless phone and, and so I pick up our cordless phone and on the screen it says six 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 across the screen. I hit the clear button, I thought, okay, God's trying to teach me something here. I think God was trying to teach me a few things in that situation. And uh, so let's see what we can learn here uh, from, uh, fr- from the, the Bible tonight, because it is sometimes hard for us to learn. Uh, the first thing is, I believe, you know, Jesus here was a student of his surroundings. And I believe we also uh, should be a student of our surroundings. That God has put us in certain places at certain times, so that perhaps we might learn things that we really need to learn in life. Um, it's interesting when you look at Jesus' uh, childhood from what we know in the Gospels. Uh, we know he was born in Bethlehem, but uh, they were given a, a vision that, that Herod was going to try to kill him. So his parents, according to Matthew's Gospel, escaped to Egypt. So Jesus lived in, uh, in two cities pretty early on. But then eventually they returned to Nazareth, probably between when he was four to six years old. And so uh, then he returns to Nazareth. So he lives in three cities and two countries. In just the first five or six years of his life. Uh, and Luke's narrative, of course, picks up uh, a few years after that, as he's now 12 years old, uh, living in Nazareth uh, with his parents. Um, and so Nazareth was just a small town in Galilee, uh, you know, a, a, a few kilometers, you know, north of Jerusalem uh, was where Galilee was. And uh, Jesus grew up there. It would have been a small town, you know, you know kind of a small rural place, kind of like maybe Colton, where George and Marion live. If you've been to Colton, I was able to visit them over the holidays. Uh, you know, just a little town kind of off, you know, off, you know, in, you know, in the countryside there. Uh, and Nazareth is, is interesting. This is actually a picture um, of Nazareth from uh, what's known as the Nazareth Ridge. On the left, you can't see it very well, is actually the edge of modern uh, Nazareth today in Israel, and this is kind of a view of the valley here, which we'll look at here in a second. And these are a couple of significant mountains that we'll find about uh, in, in the Bible here uh, in a moment. Jesus, you know, we don't we, we don't see him getting a formal education uh, from what we know uh, from his upbringing, uh, but he would have known a lot about the Bible, um, which was the Old Testament at that time, and a lot of the significance of where he lived was actually found throughout uh, the Old Testament. Um, if we go here to this uh, picture. Uh, this is uh, zoomed in now a little bit more. Um, Nazareth, again, is over here, kind of on the edge here. Um, and uh, this valley is known as uh, Medigo. It shows up in uh, Joshua chapter 12. It's where many of the battles with the Canaanites occurred as the Israelites entered the Promised Land. Uh, and according to Revelation 16, it's where the last battle of Armageddon will occur. So it still has significance uh, even to our future. Um, 
Uh, south of town, uh, you would have Mount Tabor. Uh, Mount Tabor is very significant in the Old Testament. Uh, that's where Deborah uh, gave Barak his charge and 10,000 uh, Israelite soldiers to attack um, Sisera and their enemies, the Canaanites, in Judges 4 through 6. Uh, just past Mount Tabor a little further is Mount Moriah. Uh, Mount Moriah is very significant when you go into the Old Testament. Abraham, uh, that's where he had his first uh, interaction with God. He built an altar there uh, in Genesis 12. In Genesis 22, they think perhaps that's where, uh, uh, when God called uh, Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, that Abraham actually went to sacrifice Isaac, was perhaps at Mount Moriah. In Genesis 22, we we have that account. Of course, that was just a test. He wasn't supposed to do that uh, in the end. Also, Moses uh, gave his last proclamation when the Israelites had just entered... um, we're just about to enter the promised land. Uh, he gave his last proclamation, the blessings and curses, as is famous in Deuteronomy 11, again there uh, at Mount Moriah. Uh, if you turn uh, uh, southwest from Nazareth, uh, you can also see Mount uh, Gilboa, uh, which is a significant mountain. Gideon uh, camped there before he attacked the Midianites in Judges 6-7. through seven. Uh, Also, it's where Saul and his three sons, the most significant Jonathan, uh, were killed uh, in battle. Uh, according to Second Samuel uh, chapter one, uh, and then if you look uh, toward the Mediterranean Sea, uh, heading uh, due west, uh, you can see actually Mount Carmel. Uh, although that's that's it's not quite that close from Nazareth, uh, but that's a good close above Mount Carmel. And up there on Mount Carmel, of course, is that famous scene where Elijah has the uh, the showdown with the prophets of Baal. Uh, and so all around Jesus's childhood ground and where he lived. He saw the stories he read as a young Jew come to life. Uh, he saw the places and, the, and, and he was able to experience uh, these situations that, that he read about and learned about. And so Jesus, uh, in many ways, I believe, was, was put right in the right place at the right time by God to really understand where he had come from and where he was supposed to go as now him coming through Israel and becoming uh, the son of God. Uh, and so Jesus didn't need photographs or PowerPoints of professors. Uh, he had that when he walked outside of his door uh, every day uh, there in Nazareth. Um, Philip Yancey uh, wrote a great book about the Old Testament uh, called The Bible That Jesus Read. Might be a great book you might want to read one day if you want to get to know the Old Testament better. But in his book, The Bible That Jesus Read, he says this, Like a drumbeat that never stops in the pages of the Old Testament, we hear the consistent message that this world revolves around God, not us. The Hebrews had incessant reminders built into their culture. A devout Jew could barely make it through an hour, much less an entire day without running smack into some reminder that he or she lived in God's world. Even the Hebrew calendar marked time by events such as the Passover and the Day of Atonement, not merely by the harvest cycle and the moon. The world they believed is God's property, and human life is sacred, which means simply that it belongs to God to do with what he wills. Um, and I'm reminded of that here in verse 46. Because here's Jesus. He's implanted in Nazareth. He's going to get a great understanding as a young Jew growing up of the Old Testament and, and, and his, his spiritual heritage. But then he shows up at the temple uh, in verse 46 after his parents don't realize that he stayed there. Uh, and what is he doing? He's sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. He's, he's absorbing now you know, the temple and he's absorbing the religious teaching uh, at his time and in his day. Um, long before Jesus changed his surroundings with his incredible life and teachings... He was being taught and absorbed the information around him in his surroundings. You know, we want to go out and change the world, 
But sometimes we have to take a step back and we have to first learn some things uh, before we can do just that. And all of us, like I said, we're putting families, we're going through events and circumstances. Whether God has done that intentionally or allowed it to happen, He wants to use it just like He did here with Jesus, I believe, in Nazareth, to raise us up and to mature us and to, and to educate us spiritually speaking. And so for your own life and my life, we can't think, well, I'm just in this and this is just the way it's got to be and I'll just have to make the best of it. Are we actually trying to learn from our surroundings, learn from our circumstances and situations? As a church, you know, this church is nearly 30 years in age. You know, are we learning from our history? Are we learning uh, from where we are even today? Or do we think we already know? We already understand. We already have the angle on the things that we we're supposed to learn at this point uh, in our lives. Our pride, our pride can keep us uh, from learning as we ought. Um, and, and what I love about the church is it's always a place where we can learn. Uh, we don't have these mountains that we just looked at to learn from, but we have some stones, according to 1 Peter 2, verses 4-5. through 5, It says, As you come to Him, referring to Jesus, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, referring to the church, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God, through Jesus Christ. And so, I don't know for sure if you walk down the streets of Digbeth if you're going to learn something spiritually. I, I can't guarantee that. I can't guarantee if you have coffee in Wolverhampton tomorrow night that, that you're going to have a revelation from God. But I do guarantee you, based on scriptures, if we walk in here and we want to learn and we want to hear from God, He's going to speak. He, he, he's going to move us. He, he's going to shape us. He's going to form us. And it's not just through the sermon. It's through the fellowship. It's not just through the fellowship. It's through the worship. And it's not just through our time on Sunday. It's through our time in our family groups. It's, it's through our time on Friday nights. It's all those opportunities. For sure, God wants to use our surroundings in the church to change us, to help us, to mold us into the people spiritually that we ought to grow up to be, just like we see that here with Jesus. How much more so does that apply to us? He walked in as a son of God. And he wanted to learn from the, from, the, from the corrupt humans teaching in the temple. And these guys we know were quite corrupt actually at this time, historically speaking. Yet Jesus was still trying to learn even from those guys. You know, if you're older, we've got to be careful not to think we already know. There's such a danger as we age spiritually to think we already know. You know, already got that figured out. No, there's still so much more we can learn. If we're younger, you know, you, you don't even know what you don't know when you're younger. Because you really haven't been through it yet. And there's, of course, so much uh, still to learn. And I think one of the things that I used to love about the church was we were humble toward each other. We, we saw these times as sacred and we came in and we were, we were wanting to just, we, we, we got everything out of the sermon we could get. We took notes on the notes and then we went over our notes and, and we took it and we applied it like it was God's words themselves being spoken to us when a, when a sermon was preached. And we, we, we went after it, you know, when we got discipling. It was like God himself had discipled us. And we wanted to change that. And we wanted to grow. When we got advice, you know, we thought, man, maybe this is God's advice to me. And we really strongly considered it. And sometimes even just did it, even though maybe we didn't even agree with it. And amen, yes, those things can be taken too far the other way. But in our pride today, I wonder how much we're really learning from our surroundings. How much are we really benefiting from these living stones that gather around us every time we come together as God's people. We've got to get better at getting more advice in our lives. 
We've got to get better at getting more input, uh, getting more feedback. There is so much for all of us to learn. And I'm, I'm guilty of it too. I can come to somebody, hey, here's a great idea in the church. Will you give me your stamp of approval? And I'm a convincing guy, so I can usually get that from someone in the church. But what I should do more often is, hey, bro, what do you think? about this part of the church and hear what they have to say. Hey, sis, here's, here's a situation. What do you think we need to do to... And then start throwing out my ideas. But it's so easy for me to kind of think I already know what this needs or what that needs. And so I, I'm guilty of it as well. Jesus, though, he, he challenges us even as a 12-year-old to be humble, to be a student of our surroundings. So student of our surroundings, how is that going? Are you still learning are you still learning as you should be in the church? The second thing here is Jesus was also a student of wisdom. He was also a student of wisdom. I found this um, in my search uh, for images on wisdom. Uh, this is actually a statue found in Belgium. There's water pouring out. Uh, it's called the Fountain of Wisdom. And he's, he's, he's reading a book while, while the, while the water is being poured into his head. And it's symbolic of this idea that we've got to keep filling our minds up with the right things. And I, I, don't, I don't think it's a Bible. I, I hope it is, but I'm not sure it is. Uh, maybe I'm assuming because it's in Europe, it's not. But anyway, I, you know, I mean, hopefully, hopefully it is a Bible. But anyway, uh, as Christians, though, that, that should be a picture of us. we got our Bibles open, and we're just, we're just pouring it in constantly. We're just trying to saturate our lives, right, with the Word of God. And here, you know, in the text, it's interesting, it talks about wisdom in several places. Um, you know, Jesus' parents, they, they leave uh, in verses... Uh, 46 to 47, the caravan goes, and, and, and what would happen uh, when they would travel in this time is the women would go early in the morning ahead of the men, usually with the children, and then the men would come a little bit later and kind of go faster and catch up. That's just how they, they chose to travel for different reasons I won't get into. And, and so it's likely that Joseph thought Jesus was with Mary, and Mary thought Jesus was with Joseph. He's 12 years old, he's kind of, again, he's, not, he's almost a man, he's not quite a, quite a kid, you know, and so that's probably what happened. And so it's not home alone, it's temple alone, right? And, and here's Jesus, you know, spir- you know, Macaulay Culkin, you know, spiritually here, and he, he's in the temple. But what is he doing? He's making the most of the opportunity. And, and Joseph and Mary come back, and they're, they're, they're upset with him. As any parent would be to some degree when you lose your kid, you know, and uh, the, the blame game, you know, whose fault was it, you know, uh, we've all been there, we've lost our children in public places, and verse 49, Jesus, he says, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? And so it's not a statement of disrespect, it's a, it's a, it's a statement of reality. And perhaps this is maybe the first time, or, or maybe this was the completion of Jesus understanding who he was called to be. We don't really know when he understood that he was the son of God. Uh, he certainly understood it when he started his ministry. Uh, but perhaps he had st- started to put this together uh, here. And that's why he makes this statement contrasting his father Joseph to his heavenly father uh, from verses uh, 40, uh, 48 uh, to 49. Uh, and so it's a really interesting thing. But wisdom shows up twice in this section. Um, it shows up, uh, th- there's the statement Jesus made to, uh, of course, uh, Mary. That he had to be in his father's house, and that's why he had not come. Uh, but this word wisdom shows up twice uh, in the text. Uh, in Luke 2, verse 40, uh, after um, Joseph and Mary encountered these incredible visions, right, from Simeon and Anna at the temple, it says that Jesus, he was filled with wisdom as he grew and became strong as a child. And the grace of God was on him. Again, in verse 52, Jesus, uh, it says he's obedient to his parents and goes home with them to Nazareth. And it says in verse 52 here, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with 
man. Um, and so, you know, again, it's a great, it's a great illustration. This, this, uh, this piece of art in Belgium. You know, you know, is that, is, is that us? Are we being filled with the wisdom of God? You know, what's what's filling our minds the most every week? We're all getting filled up with something. There's plenty of noise. There's plenty of information. There's plenty of, of quote-unquote wisdom out there. But what's the greatest wisdom uh, in our minds? Uh, what's the greatest thing that is filling us up? We pay a lot of money for wisdom. We go to universities and pay a lot of money for that quote-unquote wisdom. We pay professional experts a lot of money for their wisdom. Uh, and I think in this day and age, we tend to struggle with laziness toward wisdom. Because again, we think we already know. Or, or just timidity. Well, I'm not really that smart, so I guess I'm not really going to be able to figure this out. And then on top of that, I think I find... That we're filling a lot of our time, when we do have time, with just entertainment. Just empty, empty words and empty shows and empty information that really has no, no, no bearing on our future and no real significance uh, in, our, in our personal and spiritual educations in life. But imagine if we spent just half the time we spent on being entertained by reading and pondering God's word together. We just spend half the time we spend being entertained and asking each other questions, seeking wisdom. How much better could our lives be? The Jews considered the highest form of worship studying Scripture, being saturated with it in life. And they had it on their foreheads and they had it on their wrists. And, you know, they, 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 they had it everywhere because they believed it was the highest form of worship. You know, I, I'm rereading the Bible right now. Um, you know, it's one of those read the Bible in a year things, and and uh, and and I'm I, I reading another book um, by by a guy, um, and he was talking about this colonel who who read the. By the time he was ninety, he had read. He's a U.S. Army colonel. He'd read the Old Testament eighty times, and he read the New Testament two hundred fifty times uh, total. By the time he died at the age of ninety, and and uh, and because he just believed, I always need to be you know hearing from God's wisdom. And I thought, well, this is a this is a you know a, a guy in the army who thinks this. How much more so as a disciple of Jesus should that be my desire? That I want to fill my brain and my heart and my life up as much as I can with the Word of God. You know, is it God's wisdom that we're being filled up with the most? Proverbs eight verses ten through eleven. The writer says of God's wisdom, Choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Psalm 19, verse 7, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. It's not about intelligence. Wisdom is not about intelligence, and that encourages me. It's just about understanding God's word, right, and applying it to our lives. You can get all the money in the world and be as dumb as anybody. You know, according to the, the, the writer there in Proverbs. In Romans 11 verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. I could outdo that colonel. I could read the, the New Testament 251 times and the Old Testament 81 times, right? But I still would not have searched out the unsearchable riches of God's uh, truth. I, I still not would have traced uh, the things that are beyond tracing. That's how rich the Word of God is. And that's how serious of a student we need to be of God's Word. Jesus was not disrespecting his family. He was just, he was just going after the wisdom of God as he sat there in the temple and listened to the teachers. Another interesting note about Jesus here, uh, it says that, he understands what's going on. He has a significant revelation that he had to be in his father's house in verse 49. Yet, in verse 40, 51, he went down to Nazareth with his parents and was obedient to them. 
if I'm really getting close to God, I'm really getting wise through the Bible, I'm going to be more mindful of people, not less. I'm going to be more humble toward the church, not less. Uh, and we see that here even with Jesus' revelation uh, that he is in, uh, becoming, uh, perhaps as it might be, the Son of God at this point uh, in time. And so Jesus was a student of his surroundings. Uh, he was a student of wisdom. And finally here, uh, he was a student of his upbringing. He was also a student of his upbringing. Uh, from the Gospels, um, we learn a fair amount you know, about Mary, a little bit about Joseph. Uh, and we also learn that Jesus had siblings. Um, Matthew 13, verse 55, uh, they say, isn't this the carpenter's son? That's how we know that uh, Joseph was a carpenter. Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Again, in Mark 6, verse 3, uh, another account of the same uh, section there. Uh, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? So there he's called a carpenter, so we know that Jesus had a trade for a while. He can relate to the working man. Amen. And they, and they actually mentioned his brothers, and, and aren't his sisters here with us? And so he had he had sisters and he had brothers. You know, he had a mother. You know, he had a father. And again, I think we we gloss over that part of Jesus that he he had to grow up in a family just like we had to grow up in a family. He had to go. You know, he had chores perhaps just like you know kids have chores today. And he had he had hardships. We know that his family was poor. They couldn't offer, give the full offering at the temple. They had to give a lesser offering due to their poverty. Uh, he, he might have understood, you know, it was hard to find the next meal. He might have understood bad parenting. Uh, you know, Joseph and Mary right now, they, they don't, as they, they rebuke him in the temple, it says verse 50, they did not understand what he was saying to them. They'd just been given a revelation from an angel when he was born multiple times, but they're not now getting, they're not now getting, you know, parents, we all, we're not perfect. We struggle. Uh, Jesus, you know, he, he had to go through those things. And, and I don't know, maybe at some point, you know, you know, he could get his chores done through a miracle. You know, that wasn't very fair. I, you know, I don't know when all that, you know, transitioned again, you know. Uh, I'm sure his uh, younger siblings, he was the oldest we know, he was the firstborn. I'm sure his younger siblings had some, some issues with the, their older brother being the son of God eventually that they had to work through. Maybe they did some counseling on that one. He, you know, my mom just keeps saying, be like Jesus. And I just, uh, it's hard for me. And I, James obviously had to work through that, but eventually he did believe. That's actually one of the more powerful testimonies to me of the validity of Jesus. Is We know his own family believed in him. You can fool a lot of people, but you can't fool your family, right? And, and, and his family even believed in the end that he was indeed uh, the Son of God. Um, so it's just, it's just good. I'm not, I don't want to belittle Jesus in any way by what I'm sharing with us, but there's that human side of Jesus here where he understands. He knows what it's like to struggle. He, know, he knows what it's like even maybe to come from a, a tough upbringing. A tough background. Uh, he can relate to us maybe far more uh, than we sometimes uh, realize. Um, and that's just the, you know, the, the passage there we were looking at uh, in Luke uh, 2, uh, verses 48 to 51. And so our only record uh, in the Gospels post the baby stage for Jesus is here uh, in, in, in Luke chapter 2. And I think it's significant uh, that Luke, Luke, Luke puts this in here. I think there's something really significant here. And again, I think it's this connection to Jesus that he can, he can relate to us in his humanity at any time, at any place, in any way. When we feel weak, he's felt that weakness. When we feel tempted, he's felt that temptation. Because, you know, some of us, we've, we've had terrible, terrible family experiences. Some of us have grown up in abusive homes. Dysfunctional homes, some of us, you know, orphans, and you know, and so on and so forth, and 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 we sometimes can feel alone in that suffering and in those trials. But Jesus, you know, he, he he's there for us. He understands. He understands challenges uh, and setbacks, even even within our families. Um, and I know for me as a Christian, 
Once I became a Christian, I thought this was an opportunity for me to change the bad cycles of my upbringing. This is an opportunity for me to change the bad cycles of, of my family heritage and to build something different through Jesus. And I know for me, I'm so thankful that I had that opportunity in Christ uh, to build a different kind of family, uh, to have a different kind of upbringing uh, that I can offer to my kids, a different kind of marriage uh, with my wife as Jesus calls me uh, to be a better man and to be a better husband. Uh, and to be a better father. Um, and that's just a, it's such an inspiring and encouraging thing. Uh, but we've got to grow up spiritually to do that. Uh, and again, that's where I think the church can be so helpful. That I can, I can be helped as a husband. I can be helped as a father. But, but am I getting that input from those living stones around me? Am I getting that perspective even from my own wife and my own children? Do I ask those questions about how I can be a better father and a better husband? And you see this progression... Uh, of Jesus, this way that he's being matured, even through the, the, the language here in Luke chapter 2. And I think that's perhaps one of the big points uh, Luke was bringing out in this text. In, in Luke chapter 2, uh, verse 21, uh, he's named as a baby. Um, in verse uh, 20, and that's that, the Greek word for baby there literally means baby. Uh, but in verse 27 of Luke chapter 2, uh, the word for child is a different Greek word, paidon, which means infant or toddler. Uh, and so he's now in the toddler stage. And uh, verse 43 uh, refers to Jesus as a boy. Uh, that Greek word there is, is the Greek word used for adolescence. So you're, you're becoming a man. You know, and you're in that stage. Um, uh, verse 48, Mary refers to him as son. Uh, that Greek word there has to do with progeny or disciple. It's this idea of rank. And he was the firstborn. So he'd have been, he'd have been first in line, you know, in that sense. Uh, but then in verse 52, and from here on out in Luke's gospel... Uh, he just has his proper name, Jesus, and he's, he's always referred to, uh, you know, in that way. And so I love this, you know, you see all these developmental stages of Jesus' uh, childhood here before adulthood um, in Luke chapter 2. And so if the Son of God needed to go through this uh, spiritually, emotionally, physically, well, how much more so do we? And, and, and certainly kids growing up in the church, this is a great example to you that you've you got to keep growing and keep you know, maturing and, and become a disciple of Jesus as soon as you can, teens, as soon as you, as soon as you can. Um, but even for us adults, uh, that spiritually, we know God is trying to grow us. Spiritually, God is trying to mature us. Spiritually, God doesn't want us to stay in, in childhood or adolescence. He wants us spiritually to be adults. He wants us spiritually to be adults. But again, are we a student? Are we a student of our upbringings? And I think, you know, as a church, we've got to really, we've got to really make sure we have a deep conviction that we're going to break the cycles of bad families. We're going to break the cycles of, of terrible marriages. That we're going to, we're going to strive to have godly marriages and godly families. And that is a battle that is very important. In this day and age, it is very important. In this day and age, we're, 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 we're talking about, we don't even know if someone's a boy or a girl. This is very important. We're that confused as a society that, 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 that a, a male or a female, that that is eventually questioned when it's so biologically predetermined. But that's just how confused we are. And I don't condemn someone who has that struggle. I'm not saying that. But that's just how confused our society is today. That even gender now, can't, we can't even have truth about that. And you think about, you know, the image of God is most clearly seen when, when a man and a woman are married in Christ. And so Satan comes after that image. We've got to fight for our marriages. That, that the husband and the wife, we stay faithful in Christ together. And if one of them strays, that we bring them back. And our children, that they, 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 they get every opportunity, just like Jesus did, to see God as they grow up. 
And that we in Kids Kingdom and as a church, that we, we want the kids to have every opportunity. That we, we love the team ministry. We support it as a church. Uh, we lift it up because we want to we really make sure everybody has a chance to have the right spiritual upbringing. The, the, the role of family is so important. And if you're single, you have a role in that too. You have perspective. You have support. Uh, you may be a, a part of that one day. And everybody has a role to play. Uh, you know, and so it, it's, it's, just, it's just such a human, human side of Jesus that comes out here that I think we can just learn so much from uh, in our study here tonight. Uh, and so a student of your upbringing, you know, how is that going? Don't become a victim of that. Become a student of that and learn from it and allow God uh, to change your life and change others through that process. You know, for those who live by faith, class is always in session. And, you know, we have one life to pass the final exam. Right? We're, we're all going to be judged in the end. And so right now, we have to ask ourselves, are we learning? Are we growing spiritually? Do we know what God is trying to teach us right now? Uh, I, don't know, I don't know if Professor McCartney does this, but uh, when I was in university in the U.S., uh, on some exams, the, the professor would make it so hard, like pretty much everyone flunked it. And so then the professor would, would curve the exam. Do they do that here in the U.K.? We're soft in America. I don't know. So... So, we, so, so sometimes, you know, everyone would be like, oh, man, but we wouldn't know, you know. We, everyone would share their scores and be like, oh, we hope, we hope here, we hope she curves it, you know. And sometimes they would be like, yes, praise God, you know, my, my D went to a B with the curve. And it could be that significant sometime. And, and, uh, and I think about, you know, in life, you know, you know God, God gives us the curve. Because we're going to fall short. We're, we're, we're not going to learn sometimes. We're going to be proud. We're not going to grow sometimes. We're going to stay put. And God, because of His grace and His mercy and His love, poured out through the blood of Jesus, He gives us that spiritual curve in life. And so what should we do when we understand that? We should be motivated. We should be grateful. We should be thankful to keep growing, to keep learning, to keep maturing in our lives. The curve in our life, it's, it's God's grace. And may His grace tonight motivate us to keep growing, to keep repenting, to keep changing, uh, and to keep maturing, just like we see God doing here in Jesus' life. You know, every stage, every stage of life has its calling from God. And if you're visiting with us tonight, you know, maybe you, you feel a little lost in life. Maybe you feel a little like, I, I don't really know which way is up and which way is right and which way is wrong. And, and, and I'm, glad, I'm glad you're here. And, and, and Jesus gives great insight if you want to figure you know, out those bigger questions in life. Because uh, I can tell you right now, your job, your degree at the university, your schoolmates, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, that latest movie, uh, that football you know, cup championship, it's not going to answer the questions of why you're here and what this life is all about. It's just not going to do it. But Jesus has the answers for your life. And churches, churches, when we come into the Father's house and, and, and we learn about those truths. Uh, and, and, and I, and I want to share a scripture with you and with all of us here tonight as we close out our time. Fast forward uh, in Jesus' life about 20 years now to John 14. Rory used it in the welcome. And if you read on, uh, they say, you know, Jesus is talking about going somewhere and preparing a house. And Rory used it in the welcome. And, and they say, well, we don't know where you're going. You know, and Jesus responds to that by saying in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me, and no one comes to the Father except through me. You know, Jesus in the end, if he is truly God's son, is indeed the only true education 
that we need to succeed in this life. He is the answer to the final exam of life. And it's a great reminder tonight, though, of the humility that we need to have. The patience that we need to have. The, you know, the, 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 the willingness to take a step back and ask questions. And, and, and ask other people and, and get input in our lives so that we indeed can always remember that He is the way, He is the truth, and He is the life. You know, life is a classroom. Let's take in our surroundings, let's gain wisdom, let's learn from our upbringing, and ultimately let's give them to Jesus, right? And allow our great teacher to continue to show us the way. And by and through Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, may we all continue and strive toward passing the test of life. And the Birmingham Church of Christ said, Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you so much, Forrest, for that. Um, We are going to now stand up and uh, sing the final song.